The text for today is Acts 5, 17 through 42. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 5, 17 through 42. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. When now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Holy Trinity downtown. 
It's great to be with you and uh, welcome to this Sunday before Thanksgiving. And our hope is that despite many of the challenges of the, the season that we are in, that you would still be able to find little reasons for which you can give thanks to God. Often our world is shaped by trials that are outside of our control. And the only thing that we can do is respond to those circumstances. And we might as well look for reasons to respond with joy. I uh, was talking to my neighbor yesterday, walked by outside, and uh, he, I, I was sitting outside reading and thinking and writing a little bit. And uh, he said to me, man, I said, this is great weather. I'm going to be outside as much as I can. And he said, yes, absolutely. He said, do you remember when my family came to town a year ago? It was only 13 degrees outside and it was maybe, I don't know, 55 or 65 yesterday. So anyway, small reason to be thankful. One of the things that people normally ask uh, one another during this season right now that we're in right before Thanksgiving is what are your plans? Do you have plans for Thanksgiving? Are you going to travel? Are you going to be with your family over Christmas? And it's a common question, but COVID seems to have upset any plans that we might do in this season. Planning has gone out the door, so to speak. But that's one of the main questions that we often ask people, a high school graduate. What are your plans? What do you plan to do? A medical student, what are your plans for how you want to use your medicine in the future? To a business person, what are your plans for this company? One of the things that distinguishes humans from all other creatures is that we have the ability to plan. And yet our plans do not always go as we want them to. If if uh, 2020 has shown us anything, it's that our plans can be thrown out the window. One of the beautiful perspectives of the Word of God is that it teaches us to make plans, but then it also teaches us how wisp-like those plans can be. Think of it. None of us plans for suffering. None of us plans for failure. None of us plans for relational difficulty. And yet those things are part of our normal life. Remember what James says in James chapter four, he says, come, and this is on planning, come now those of you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a place or a town and spend a year there and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord so wills, we will do this or that. And then James says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all boasting is evil. So the Bible tends to humble us in our plans making. And it points out that there are plans that God has that he is doing in history. And I just want you to look at this text today with me and think about the, the unstoppable plans of God. The title for the sermon really is The Power of God's Plans. And there's this little section in verses 38 and 39 where they go to Gamaliel and he says this in verse 38 and 39. This is the theme for for today's message. If this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. This is the main thing I want to teach today is that no one and nothing can overthrow the plans of God. And so what I'm going to challenge us to do is think about kind of two things. One is where does God fit into the plans that you're making for your life? But turn that around and where do, where do you fit in the plans that God has for this 
world. So in this season, when it seems like all of our planes have gone out the window, let's just pause and see what we can learn from God's word about his plan. So will you bow with me in prayer and uh, we'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even when all of our plans seem to be upset by the circumstances of our lives, when things don't go the way that we intended them to go, that there are still plans that you're making in our world. And I pray that you would help us to learn more about that today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The passage breaks down into four sections. If you can take out a Bible and just keep it open. The first little section there is verses 17 to 21. And essentially there's something that they try to do to stop the plans of God, but it doesn't work. And then the same thing in the next little section, verses 21 to 26, they try to stop the plans of God, doesn't work. And then you see verses 27 to 32, the the plans of God are succeeding in such a way that the whole city is filled with the teachings of the apostles on the goodness of Jesus and his, his message of forgiveness of sins that is available to all. And then verses 33 to the end, to the end of the chapter, verse 42, really has to do with uh, wisdom in discerning. There's a principle there that Gamaliel gives on how to discern God's plan. So two kind of oppositions to God's plans, then one fulfillment of it, and then discernment about it. The very first thing that you see is, I'll just state it this way, that jealousy and unrest and imprisonment and arrest cannot defeat or turn back or overturn the plans of God. You see that in verses 17 to 21, the first half, and I'm just going to read it. But the high priest rose up, that is uh, one of the key leaders for Jerusalem at that time, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And look what they do because of it. It says that they arrest the the apostles before it was just Peter and John that were arrested, and now it's all the apostles, and they put them in a public prison. I love this. It says, uh, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out, and said, go stand in the temple and speak. These guys had just been told multiple times, you shall not continue to speak in the name of Jesus. But the angel says, no, 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 no. It's God's plan for you to speak. So they, the angel busts them out of jail and says, go stand in the temple and speak to all the people. Listen to this, the words of life. That is what Christ has come to do, which is to give new life, to give fulfilling life, life with meaning, eternal life. And so they have these words of life that bring people again to be alive. And he says, go into the temple and do, do speak these words. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to, to teach. Um, it's a little bit humorous because uh, this person rises up, the person who has the most authority, the high priest, but he can't stop what's happening. And then the people, the, the rest of the Sadducees come with him, the Sanhedrin, um, in this really compressed narrative here, it goes from anger to arrest and imprisonment and then to jailbreak. It's a really famous hymn that some of you, some of you know by Charles Wesley, and he wrote it upon his conversion when, when God, he had been a very religious person, but he didn't actually have new life within him. And so he wrote those famous words in 1738. He wrote, uh, long, sorry, I dropped my Bible. Long my imprisoned spirit lay. Listen to this. Fast bound in sin and nature's night. He's saying he was, it was as if he was imprisoned by sin. He says, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke 
The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And uh, most scholars believe that uh, Charles Wesley is taking this from chapter two of the book of Acts when Peter is broken out of prison in chapter two, verse seven to eight. But it, it's an image of what the Christian faith is all about. Galatians speaks of the, the, the people, the church, kind of returning to a slavery to the law when Christ has come to set us free. Chapter five, verse one of Galatians says, do you not know? It says, um, for freedom, you have been set free. Amazing love. This is what Charles Wesley writes. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That's the imagery of what Christianity is really about, that we can be bound by jealousy, bound by our passions. Ephesians chapter two speaks of us following the prince of the power of this air. And then Luke chapter five, verse 28, the voice of Jesus calls and we rise up and follow. John eight thirty six says, if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free. Indeed, and this little section here in the beginning is showing that even if you bind the disciples, even if you lock them up, you cannot lock up the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So that the apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 9, I'm bound with chains as a criminal, but listen to this, the word of God is not bound. And that is what is happening in chapter five of this text is that, the author Luke is showing that you cannot bind the word of God, that you cannot oppose God's plans, you cannot derail them. And I just speak to those who are skeptical at this moment, who are watching and say to you, God's word can set you free, the gospel of Jesus can set you free. You know, we live in this secular world, we don't really believe in angels today very much, but I love Psalm 34, verse seven, which we memorized with our kids years and years ago, which says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. God is near. You cannot lock up the words of life. So Holy Trinity Church, may you rejoice because Christ has set you free and God's word is not bound. Jealousy and unrest and imprisonment cannot overthrow the plans and the purposes of God. So what we're gonna see in the next little section is not just that arrest and imprisonment and jealousy cannot overthrow the plans of God, but we're also gonna see more generally that religious extremism or power that's invested in kind of a legalistic religious culture cannot impede the, the, the plans of God either. And so you have in, in verse 21, the second half, now the high priest came together with those who were with him and they called together the council, all the Senate of the people of Israel. That's the Sanhedrin, a very powerful group of people, almost militarized. And it says, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we could find no one inside. That is for all of their religious power, for all of the, the legalistic control that they have, they could not control the word of God. And Many people in North America have been raised in a highly fundamentalistic and religious culture that actually eventually 
begins to deform people in spiritual life. It shrinks us spiritually. It sucks the life out of us. And Jesus was very strong against the Pharisees, against the Sadducees and their 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 stunning adherence to rules and their disbelief in who he was and how empty that was. And it says, verse 24, now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Someone came to them and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching these people. This religious extremism is powerless against the plan of God. And then the captain and the officers went and brought them, but they not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When I was in college, I had this experience, and I, I had grown up in a Christian family, but I had this experience where somebody began to deconstruct legalism for me, it, it, somebody that was preaching, and this kind of life of rules that, that Jesus speaks against very strongly as he as he argues for the, the power of the Holy Spirit to be what is in our life. So the, the two snapshots that we have here um, in the text are, are one of this, the, the arrest being unable to, to uh, squelch the life, but then the other one is of this, the, the leaders themselves cannot squelch the life. And I just want to acknowledge for those of you who who are kind of being healed after being in a very, very religious context that the grace of God has come to set you free from all of that. So this religious extremism, these arrests, they cannot stop the growth of the word of God. So what I want you to, what, what I want you to see now is what does advance the, uh, the plans of God and the growth of the word of God, which comes now in this third section. Verse, look at verse 27, it says, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. So imagine this, this is like a trial. Okay, they've been arrested, they're put on trial. Now and it says, the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem, verse 28, with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Just a couple observations here. So first of all, it says that they, they strictly charged them not to teach in this name, that's from chapter four and uh, verse 17 to 18, it says, uh, let us warn them after they had healed the beggar, let us warn them not to speak anymore in, in this name. So I just wanna point out that in the book of Acts, there, there's something about the actual literal name of Jesus, which, which means to symbolize all of his character, but there's something about his name itself in which there is great power. Um, and that's why the New Testament also tells us to pray in Jesus's name. But think of it, it says that chapter two, verse 21 says that all, call, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Chapter two, verse 38 says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus. When they heal this beggar, they heal him in the name of Jesus Christ. This is chapter three, verse eight, in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, what it means is that our access to who God really is, is through this particular person named Jesus, and his name is a symbol for our access to Jesus. And so that they, that's why they're challenging them and saying, don't speak anymore in this name. In fact, what they were proclaiming was, this is chapter four and verse 
two, they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So what's advancing the gospel is the proclamation of the name of Jesus. In fact, to such a degree, and this is the second little part of verse 28, is that they've filled Jerusalem with their teaching. Now, let me just ask you this. Man, what is your vision for the city of Chicago? What's the vision for Wicker Park at Five Corners? What's your vision for the streets of the neighborhood of Austin or in Lawndale where you live? What is your vision? Isn't this a beautiful vision? It says that the whole city was filled with the teachings of Jesus, not legalistic teachings, but the teachings of life. It's been filled with that. Listen, listen to what they're teaching. Uh, that God raised, look at verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree and God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior, listen, to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. That is what's happening in Jerusalem at that time. Friends, can you picture a day in which Chicago is filled with the teaching of the beauty of the forgiveness of sins of Jesus? Like we want to see the city of Chicago transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that not what? That's how the gospel and God's plans advance is through this very particular message. You see, these people have great power, but they cannot stop the message. They don't have Christ in their day. So they cannot stop the plans of God. And so I'll just ask you, what's your dream for being in this city? Is it for convenience? Is it for comfort? Is it for job advancement. Friends, could we make this part of our prayer that, that in the next 10 years or 15 years, that the teachings of the apostles, we, that somebody might one day look back and say, what happened in this city of violence? What happened in this city of corruption? That, that the answer might be, it was, this city was filled with the teachings of Jesus. That is how God's plans are advanced. Praise God for that. One more observation before we move on. They bring him, they strictly charge him not to teach in this name. Listen to what they say. They say, we, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And the Peter and the apostles say, we must obey God rather than man or rather than men. And they have this incredible courage that I'd ask you to pray that God would give to us in this season. But they also say um, that they're intending to bring man's, this man's blood upon us, which is really very interesting imagery because the Old Testament is very bloody. But part of what the center of God's plan is, is to use I know this is offensive and striking for many modern people, but is to use Jesus's blood as the means to forgive us. Listen to what Charles Wesley says again. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. How? His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Now, some of you feel like, no, I'm not foul. But that sin before God is uh, offensive. It's, uh, 
Even our righteousness are like dirty rags, it says in the book of Isaiah. But here it says that his blood can make us clean. Isn't that a gift? And that's why they were so bold. And in a little bit, we're going to sing about the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His, then listen, his blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb, and every knee will bow before him. And so if you have not had the cleansing blood of Christ seal you and forgive you and cleanse you from your sins, you can be cleansed. And that is the, that's why they say, look, the, the disciples believed that we believe in Holy Trinity, that they had the life-giving message, the, the forgiveness-bringing message of who Jesus was. And so they said, we got to proclaim that. And that's what we wanted to at Holy Trinity. That's the plan that is behind the universe. You know, sometimes if you watch a movie, you can kind of, you, you don't know what's happening at first. And then the layers are kind of peeled back. And that's what the, the, the apostles are doing. They're peeling back to the core purpose of the universe. And they're saying that, that the blood of Christ is there and that God is going to bring his own people. Look at verse uh, 31 to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. See, what we need is a complete reorientation, a turning about, turning towards who Christ is and away from our sins. Friends, the city filling, preaching, advances the plans of God. How? Because it cannot be stopped and because forgiveness comes through it and because Jesus is glorified in it. Tertullian once said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And in reality, there's some truth to that, but it's really the blood of Christ, which is the seed of the church. So let's move on. Arrest and imprisonment can't overthrow the plans of God. Neither can religious extremism. The preaching of the centrality of Jesus and his blood and his forgiveness, his resurrection, his rule at the right hand of God, is how his plans move in a city to fill it with his grace. And then lastly, it's just we need people of discernment about uh, the plans of God, which in this case, in chapter 4 verses 33 to, sorry, 5 verses 33 to, to 42 is the wisdom of Gamaliel. So chapter 5, verse 33, when they heard this, that is verse 29, that the, the apostles say, hey, we're going to obey God rather than men. It says they are enraged. I, I believe that's a very uh, particularly chosen word from Luke that ties back to Psalm 2, which says the nations are going to rage. They are enraged, they wanna kill them. Again, this is a hyper-vigilant, hyper-fundamentalism and extremism that reacts against grace. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, this is actually one of the Apostle Paul's teachers, Gamaliel, stood up and gave orders. And he basically says, look, here's a couple of historical examples where um, it turned out that these guys had very little power. He says, speaks of Theodos, who claimed to be somebody, a number of like 400 people are following him. Then he's killed and everybody's dispersed. Nothing came of it. And he gives another example, historic example of a guy named Judas the Galilean rose up and drew away some of the people. And then he too perished. And then here's the key lesson for, uh, for today. He says, 
Look at verse 38 and verse 39. It says, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. Friends, you cannot overthrow the plans and the purposes of God. You cannot derail the purposes of God, which if it is true, if that is true, then all of the plans that we have, we should be consulting God for them, saying, God, how do I fit into your plans? God, how do you fit into my plans? How can we weave these things together? How do your great plans, friends, for life, for relationships, for work, for meaning, how do they fit into the plans of God? Because at the center of the plans of God is this, that through suffering, listen to this, friends, this is the center of the plans of God, through suffering and opposition, this one who was crucified on a tree would be raised to rule and to provide forgiveness by his blood. That's the center of his plan. So how does your life relate to that which is the center of the plan? And are we willing to speak so radically in the name of Jesus. Listen to verse 41, something so radical here that we can almost hardly wrap our minds around it. It says that um, they were beaten. Actually, I have to start at verse, verse uh, 39. That He tells them, listen, you might even be found to be opposing God. They, they took his advice. It seems like they hardly took all of it, though. When they called in the apostles, listen to this, this is remarkable. They beat him, <laughs> even though they didn't have any reason to. And they charged them, again, not to speak in the name of Jesus. Aha, but that is where the power is. And so they're going to continue. And then they let them go. And then it says, verse 41, then they left. And this is what's almost impossible to wrap your minds around. They left the presence of the council rejoicing. Why? That they were counted worthy. Listen to this, friends to suffer dishonor for the name. You see, our culture has so misshaped the message of the scripture into moralism, into civic religion, into politics, that this message is almost getting squelched out by the left and by the right, but the message is that Christ came to suffer and therefore he also calls his people to suffer as well. God's main aim for the world is through suffering and through opposition to glorify the mighty name of his son who shed his blood for us. And so if God accomplishes his will through suffering, then we should cross-culturally and counterintuitively welcome suffering. Why? Because it makes us more like Jesus. And so this is what's so counterintuitive sometimes about the Christian message is that suffering actually can be used by God to make us more like him. The Apostle Paul has this place in, uh, in Colossians where he, he says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, he says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. He's not saying that the, the afflictions of Jesus lacked anything, but it's what he's saying is that Jesus had a certain amount of things that he suffered for, which accomplished our salvation. But the church then in, in accordance with his likeness to be shaped like him also has a certain number of sufferings that we will undergo and that we use those particular sufferings to shape us into the image of Christ. And so if the keyhole of how you interpret your life really is this idea of the, the sort of great American dream 
then suffering won't necessarily be a part of it. I, I do like what uh, Jordan Peterson says in this regard. He, I read his uh, book last year, The 12 Rules of Life, just trying to understand his perspective. He's so hugely popular. Rule number seven says this. He says, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. And then he opens that chapter with this, these words, life is suffering. That's clear. There is no more basic, irrefutable truth. It's basically what God tells Adam and Eve immediately before he kicks them out of paradise unto the woman. He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow unto Adam. He said, because you hearken unto the voice of thy wife and have eaten of this tree of which I commanded. And he goes on. He says, life is suffering. If you are suffering and someone is close to you, that's sad, says Peterson. But alas, it's not particularly special. We don't suffer because politicians are dimwitted although that may be true, or the system is corrupt, although that may be true, it's because we're born human that we are guaranteed a good dose of suffering. And what the scripture is saying over and over again is learn to embrace trials and suffering because it will give you hope and peace. Remember the words of, of James, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of many kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith brings steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Friends, 2020, if nothing else, is a year of trials. It is a year of challenges. But what if we accept that our lives are difficult, that suffering is a part of it? Then can we change our perspective towards those trials so that we can push through them. Not to be all happy and clappy all the time, but to have a kind of deep residual joy, rooted joy within our lives. How can you turn your trials into joy? How can you be aligned with God's plans? I'm gonna close with a story, one quick story, but let me summarize first. Arrest cannot derail the plans of God, that religious extremism cannot derail the plans of God. Bold faith can advance the plans of God, but we need wisdom to discern the plans of God. Um, there's a man whose name is Joseph Song, and he was a Romanian pastor back in the 70s and the 80s. In 1977, late in the summer, uh, an author named Jeff Robinson tells a little bit about when Romania was under communist rule and, and Joseph Sohn was preparing himself for, for martyrdom, martyrdom and death. And you may already know this, but that term in the New Testament for martyr also means witness. So in, in the book of Acts, the idea that you will be my witnesses also contains within it this idea that you will be my martyrs. And um, what, what Joseph Sohn says is that when he was imprisoned for the gospel, it gave him a much clearer understanding about the biblical response to suffering and trials and persecution. And when, so he says this, that when, at first, when the secret police officer came and threatened to kill him and to shoot him, he actually learned to smile at him and say, don't you understand that if you shoot me, if you kill me, you send me to glory and you're actually helping me. You can't threaten me with glory, he says. The more suffering, the more trials, the greater glory. So why say stop this trouble? Because the more suffering here, the greater glory there. So counterintuitive, but that's what the disciples also had. And then they, they interrogated him and, and tortured him. And they told 
in that moment, he told them, hey, if you spill my blood, it will just serve to move the gospel forth. And he said, you should know, this is one of my, you may have heard me say this before, but one of my favorite stories, he says, I told the interrogator, you should know that your supreme weapon is killing, but my supreme weapon is dying. And then he says, here's how it works, sir. He says, you know that my sermons are on tapes all over the country. And if you shoot me or if you crush me, whatever way you cho choose, you will only sprinkle my sermons with blood. And then everyone who has a tape of one of my sermons will pick it up and say, I better listen to this man. This man has died for what he preached. Sir, my, he says, sir, my sermons will speak 10 times louder after you kill me and because you kill me. In fact, I will conquer this country for God because you killed me. Go on and do it. Dying for the Lord is not an accident, it's not a tragedy, it's part of the job, it's part of the ministry, and it's part of the greatest way of preaching. That is the unstoppable power of God's plans. No one can overthrow the plans of God. So friends, as you make plans, let's do what James says, which is to say, hey, not I'm gonna go here and do that, but if God so wills. Let's submit our plans to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hard text in some ways, but our lives, yes, frankly, are filled with challenges. Perhaps not the challenges that Peter and, and James and John suffered, but help our church to be bold, Lord. Help us as Christians to be bold for what you've called us to. And with the variety of trials of life, as James says, Lord, may we Rejoice when we encounter them because they make us more like the person of Christ, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.